Hello, everyone. Our speaker today is mentor Calvin Harris. Calvin has studied for 20 years as a personal student of renowned master teacher Thane of Hawaii in what was then Thane's Fourth Way Mystery School. Calvin has been a member of the Prospero since 1967. In the 1980s, he has created and taught a class called Grooming Dynamics, offered, offering a holistic self-integration process for the self-development community and offering new concepts about creating one's self-image, empowering both men and women. Today, Calvin does life coaching and mentoring for students involved in in-depth training or for those looking for a more optimal lifestyle. Calvin engages in community and group dynamics projects in the United States and globally, a byproduct of being a student and adventurer into the reality behind the myths and misunderstandings of personal histories. Cal Calvin has taught Prospero's classes in Arizona, California, Michigan, Oregon, and Washington State, <clears throat> creating an association of people whose focus is on living authentically in concert with others, thereby surrounding himself with a rich textured community of diverse and dynamic individuals. And now it is my privilege, pleasure, and honor to present mentor Calvin Harris. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you. Aloha. Oh my goodness, it's good to see everyone today. I see that we we're pretty much covered the United States with the people that are here today. So um, welcome everyone. Um, I think one of the key factors of the of uh, these conversations is that business of um, uh, working with yourself in the present with your past to create the future. Uh, Abraham Lincoln once said, the best way to predict your future is to create it. And I always thought that was wonderful. <laughs> One of the uh, people who best demonstrates that to me is my guest today, and uh, that is Marnie Spencer. So we're going to have everyone uh, kind of mute themselves and uh, take your cameras off so that uh, me and Marnie can have this conversation. Oh, Ben, I see there are three people trying to get in. So if you can let them in, that'd be great, too. Okay. So uh, with that, I would like to uh, have Marnie come on, please. Hi, everyone. Hello, Marnie. It's good to see you today. <laughs> it's great to, to be here with you. So, 
I would like um, to uh, kind of uh, get into some of the things that you're doing today, but let's let's uh, start with some of the things that we. Um, uh, well, let's start with uh, when I first met you and how that came about. That's going to be wonderful. Oh, and, and Ben, could you put us on speaker view, please? I just did. Oh, okay, because I'm still seeing uh, gallery view. Yes, you have to go in the upper right-hand corner and uh, click from... Uh... I see. Okay, great. There we go. All right, that helps. Thank you. So, um, Marnie, um, uh, would, would you mind uh, them knowing how we got to meet each other? Oh, it would be my pleasure. It's a <laughs> so I have been friends uh, for quite a while with Stephanie Bowden, whom you you guys all may be familiar with. I was friends with her. And um, I was traveling the world. I was in Germany. I was all sorts of places in her. And I always stayed in touch online. And uh, then I moved back to Laguna. And she said, oh, my God, you must meet my friend Calvin. And Calvin being Calvin was so sweet. And he met with me for breakfast in, in Laguna Beach. <laughs> Gosh, Calvin, that's a lot of years ago, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it couldn't have been that many years ago. We're not that old. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I'm thinking it's got to be. It's going on maybe on 10 years even. Yes, yes. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so we've been friends ever since. And then Calvin does all these wonderful things. He has uh, salons that he puts on where people meet and talk about books and movies. And I've participated in those. And then um, <laughs> later on, about two, three years ago, he started a writer's group in Long Beach. And I yes. am in Long Beach and Calvin wasn't far <laughs> from that. And we met again every Thursday, like clockwork. Right. And we got together for a couple hours and we, we did writing. And that was yes. And, and it was wonderful because uh, no matter what shape they were in, <laughs> Calvin, <laughs> they would get up and they would come there. Uh, ben has a picture. Uh, I, I I'm surprising you, uh, um, uh, Marnie. I have a picture of this group that I had to deal with every Wednesday. <laughs> ben, can you show that picture? There they are. <laughs> So as, as a per explanation, we decided that proper writers must be drunk when they're doing it. So it was <laughs> early in the morning for our writers group and we must be hung over in order to do that. <laughs> so that's what we were trying to <laughs> Never, never, but no. <laughs> so, um, um, actually, one of the... With the pink glasses on, he was truly hungover every time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for showing the picture, Ben. Okay. Oh my goodness. So, um, uh, within uh, the group, there was a great deal of creativity that came uh, out. Also, a great deal of personal sharing that. Uh, to me was invaluable in my work uh, in taking it forward. And you as a professional writer, I was just so honored to have uh, you in the group. I think that uh, when I first met you was right after 
your first very intimate and and uh, disclosure uh, book. Uh, that was um, uh, tell us about that. And that was, I think, when Stephanie first um, uh, told you to get in touch with me and how to do it. And you came to, I believe it was a salon at Suvek's house. Yes, it's so true. Yeah. Very, very much fun. And then you were kind enough to actually use my book as one of the, the study books for the salon. I was very yes. honored about mm -hmm. that. And that brought about a lot of good sharing. So my book is a, an autobiography. It's called Crawling into the Light. And mm -hmm. the title is, is telling because there was quite a bit of crawling for me before the light. And I think it sort of allowed everyone in the group to look at their own uh, upbringing and pains and things that they've gone through. And there were quite a bit of tears, I remember, when people were oh, yeah. sharing what the book meant to them. So, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, in the book, because um, uh, one of the areas of the book that it dealt with was uh, addiction and how difficult uh, uh, addictive behavior once it becomes rooted can happen can take place because there was uh, time after time in your book where you are honest enough to say you know that you thought that you were f uh, finished with something and then all of a sudden something else would happen and boom there it was again <laughs> well let me briefly jump into it I can I can tell the story very very quickly mm -hmm. so um, I, I grew up um, in, in the 50s in Germany, so dating myself a little bit there. My parents had both been through the Second World War and were pretty much shell-shocked. Today we call it PTSD. In those days they didn't, they just thought it was normal. And um, these two very damaged people were sort of raising me and um, I had, my, my mom had two sons from a previous marriage. She didn't come back from the war, so she was all destroyed. And one of my brothers molested me from pretty much diaper age on all the way to 10 years old. So I was sort of already didn't have a very normal upbringing. Um, I was raped at 12. Then I, I, that sort of put me in a real tailspin. And then I was raped again at 14. And then when I was 17, it looked like things were gonna look up a little bit. I um, uh, met my high school crush and I, I married him very early. And I was discovered as a, as a professional model and I thought things would look up. But what I didn't really realize is that the man that I had married was insanely jealous. And although he was first very, very proud that his young wife was going to be a professional model, what he didn't realize is that meant people were looking at me and he couldn't bear that. He couldn't stand that. And so he came up with quite a diabolical plan and with full, as they say, knowledge and foresight, he got me addicted to heroin. Now, this was a person that had nothing whatsoever to do with any kind of drugs. And he literally talked me into it with the thought that he would control the heroin so he would control me. That plan sort of backfired a little bit because I, although I did become addicted and because in there, that's speaking to what you were talking about, Calvin, um, the pain from the molestation of growing up and then two rapes. And then the first time I felt that drug hit my veins, I just knew instinctively, oh, this is what you're supposed to feel like. This feels good and I must feel this way again. And I believe that that is truly the root of all addiction. You feel bad. I mean, a drug is truly a pain reliever. You feel awfully bad. There's psychic pain that's indescribable. And then through some accident, you come across a 
substance or a behavior that makes you feel better. And we are not built to be in pain. We are pleasure babies. We're joy babies. We enjoy being happy and in pleasure and not in pain. And so we find something that fixes it and we want to do that over and over and over again. That's not a disease. That's just normal. The problem is once that behavior then becomes habitual, then life blows up as it did for me as well. I got away from the guy, um, I, but I couldn't get away from the heroin. And then here I was um, no longer a professional model. I was a junkie and I left Germany, came to the United States, found um, that that's when you're trying to get away from drugs, coming to the United States might not be your, your ideal place. I ended up in <laughs> Not a good idea. Although I, I hung in for about two years and then, then it started up again. And then I was a junkie in the streets of LA and I became a prostitute, I became a criminal and I ended up homeless. And that truly was, I think the turning point for me. And I find it was so dark and so dirty all around me that I finally thought even I deserve better than that. And I had that moment that they say hitting bottom. And I said, no more. Tomorrow I'm gonna turn myself in I'm gonna, I was facing prison time at that point. I'd been arrested over and over and over again as a junkie. And I turned myself in. And that's a funny story in itself. Guys, get the book, Crawling Into the Light. It's available on Amazon. And normally I would try and get myself, I would get arrested anytime the police saw me on the street and there I'm in the courthouse and it took me all day long for them to arrest me. Nobody wanted me. <laughs> <laughs> just wrong I tell you. it was literally five o'clock I wasn't arrested yet and um anyway so then I thought maybe because I turned myself in I would just get a slap on the wrist and they would just let me go well was not to be the universe knew what I did and I was sentenced to prison and to me it was being in prison in a foreign country and I was terrified, absolutely terrified. In fact, I remember walking through those prison gates and I was so terrified. My heart beat so fast that you could literally see it on the outside. My t-shirt was fluttering so hard. But then I thought, okay, here I am. And I'm gonna look at this as an opportunity rather than as a bad thing. And it's sort of like military and people volunteer for that. So I thought, you know, I, for better or for worse, I don't have to worry about my survival in here. They're feeding me. They're, I have a roof over my head, no rent to pay. I'm going to focus on me. And I spent 18 months as my personal rehab, focusing on myself. And when I got out, I truly was like a new person. Someone gave me a chance. They gave me a job in marketing. Turned out marketing was something I absolutely loved. I was really good at it. So some three years later, I started my own company. And I turned it into a multi-million dollar uh, business. I had 70 employees and my life turned into an absolute fairy tale. I lived in Laguna Beach, house overlooking the ocean, sports cars in the garage. I was a sponsor for the symphony. Everything looked really, really good. And then in 2008, my life unraveled again. I, I felt, started feeling sick and eventually my doctor told me I had about a year to live. And that's when everything that's actually having living with that death sentence over my head was truly the the biggest gift for me because i found that even though i had been seemingly so successful i wasn't truly fulfilled i had this beautiful house overlooking the ocean mansion really and i was an antidepressant because i couldn't i couldn't cope with my existence and i had everything that one should have and i realized that i wasn't happy 
So now here I am looking, staring death in the face, trying to wrap my head around the fact that I'm not going to be there by Christmas. And, and I, I thought, was I meant to do something here? What did I miss? Was there a reason for me to be here? Or was this just a big cosmic joke? And then I realized that when I turned my life around, I took charge of my life. I just wanted out. But I never asked myself, what did I want? What did that mean for me? What is authentic for me? And then I just realized the only thing that I have to offer that nobody else has to offer is me. So I have to get authentic. I have to get honest. I have to do the things that I really want to do that bring me joy. And I realized I literally don't have time for anything else. And um, that's when I, I have some artistic talent and I, I started working as an artist and things started getting better. And, and strangely enough, my life, my, my, my health did not deteriorate as they had said it would. Uh, then I went to Germany and people had always said, oh, you got to write a book with that story of yours. You got to write a book. And I went to Germany and I wrote that book with Stephanie Bowden coaching me through every day, all the way along the way. And then when the book was finished, I came back and that's when Calvin and I met. And, but I just realized that it, I, my, I, when I, when I realized that becoming authentic and, and focusing on myself, I, I discovered a piece inside of me that I had never known before. It was this, this true piece of presence. And it was, it was so life-changing for me that I decided I wanted to share that with others. And I studied to become a coach and I became an executive uh, coach to people. And um, that's really the, the thing that, that's why I'm saying the book came from steel handcuffs to golden handcuffs to true freedom. <laughs> because I used to be in steel handcuffs. And then when I looked like, oh, I have it all, I've got the best, really, when I realized I was just in golden handcuffs, I was in the rat race, I was, I was working like a dog and I wasn't bring, getting the fulfillment. And then I found the true freedom. Funny enough, when I was staring death in the face, I found true freedom. And then they found a cure for what was ailing me. And I, obviously this will shock you, I did not die. No. <laughs> Shocking. Instead, I'm still here and happier than ever. Um, and, and so here I am, honored to be with you guys today. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was during the, um, the time that I believe in the writing group or right before that then you wrote your second book, uh, The Iceberg Principle, wasn't it? The Iceberg Principles actually was spawned out of the realizations that I got from writing Crawling into the Light. Mm -hmm. The Iceberg Principles is, and that also came directly out of conversations with uh, Stephanie, because we had so many, she, she was always, whatever I was saying, she was translating it. So, so I know mm -hmm. you guys always talk about translating. So, mm -hmm. so what does God mean to you? What does this and this mean? I'm like, oh, oh, this is what I mean. And I wrote. And as I was writing, I found that I was writing stuff that I didn't even know. It was truly coming through me out of it. And the iceberg principles is a concept where I, I liken human beings to icebergs. With an iceberg, you just see you know, an ice cube. If any of you are here, I've got an ice cube in front of me. So you see there's very, very little floating on the top. Most everything is below on, on ice, swimming in water. 4% is at the top and is on the surface, 96% is submerged and invisible. And it's the same for human beings. What's sitting there in each of your chairs, in my chair, what's sitting, what's visible is the surface. That's just 4% of who you really are. And who you really are, the, the 
your authenticity, your gifts, your talents, your capacities, the things you love that you don't love that makes truly makes who you are. That's, that's submerged. I can't see that when I look at you. I don't know who you really are because all that is invisible. And when that what's invisible, the 96% finds expression in the 4%, that's how you become whole. Mm -hmm. And that's the concept of the iceberg principles. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so uh, that whole concept of, of uh, creating your future, creating yourself, is that self-examination that goes on that is so important. Um, I always say that, that uh, the depth of that to be able to help someone else is that you've gone through it yourself, that you have that you've gone through the hell. You're not looking for, oh, there is uh, the pinnacle where I want to go. But it's like Dante, you go through, you go through the situation to come to the truth of, of what's going on, the clarity uh, to the authenticity of the person. And I think you, 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 you've done that pretty well. You, there is that sense of, of, um, self-awareness that you have and I think uh, of what you need and what you want and I think that with that handle has brought you to you the last book that you uh, have written uh, which is uh, so as I was coaching I was finding it was it was it was executive coaching it was career coaching it was and I found that my clients weren't wanting to talk about their their work so much they wanted to talk about why they're not fulfilled personally and why they feel lonely and why, how come they don't have anyone in their life? How come they're single? And I found that when most of the time we're talking about that. And so the book that I'm writing currently is called The List, The Scientific Way, The Proven Scientific Way of Finding the Love of Your Life. And um, that's, yeah, that's, I'm almost finished with that book. I'm really excited about it because I think it's really going to be life-changing for people to recognize and that there is a scientific way, a proven way that you can truly find the one person that's meant for you and you can be deliriously happy. And it's not just about finding someone that puts up with you, but really, truly being, <laughs> as someone, some very wise man said, <laughs> it's about truly finding someone that adores you and worships the ground you walk on and you do the same for them. I, I, again, with uh, that, and I think we've had some conversations in regards to this, is the importance, though, of the individual getting clarity on themselves. Um, there's a story in one of our classes, uh, it's our Releasing the Hidden Splendor class, where this woman, uh, she married this man, and uh, they were in... in um, marriage bliss for about three months or so and then all of a sudden it started changing but the marriage continued and it got so bad that um that that uh, there were things that were going on in her to the point of where she'd take off her shoe and she'd start beating her husband with the shoe <laughs> so uh so she, they got a divorce because that wasn't working so then she did it, uh, she married someone else and within three months or so, the same pattern. She did it again, she did it again, she did it five times. And so finally she decided, well, maybe she needed 
maybe it was something that was going on with her. And so when she cleared all that out, when she did her work on that and got clarity on the situation, then she was able to realize what was going on. And what she did was she went back and married the first husband that she had. (laughs) (laughs) And they lived with her. So it was right the first time the dynamics, the uh, situations that go on. And I think having clarity is so important. I um, One of the things that I think that messes up so many um, marriages or r- arrangements or whatever is that people don't get agreements. They have expectations. And expectations is not what you want because you're expecting something the other individual may not even be aware that you're expecting it. (laughs) And then they're mad. Clarity is very important. That's why I was saying a list. You have to have a very detailed list of what Uh it is you're looking for. And then you, you, the thing is when the more, the clearer you are, we always, there's this fear that we think if I get too picky, if I ask for too much, I'm never going to get what I want. But in every other part in life, we know that the more specific you are, the clearer you are, the sharper your vision is, the more you're going to get exactly what you're looking for and the faster you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. But with what love is concerned, we, we always get all airy-fairy on ourselves. You know, I'll wait for the universe to send me well, <laughs> a career and go, I'll wait for the universe to send me the career. No, you go, no, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to touch. This is what I want. But with mm-hmm. lovers, well, men, we get all weird on ourselves. <laughs> And the thing you just described, I have a, a whole chapter on that one's the chapter on loneliness. Because mm-hmm. the primary reason why people f- try to find somebody is because they're lonely. Mm-hmm. But loneliness, we think that loneliness is I'm lonely be- because I don't have somebody in my life. And if I could only find that person, then I would feel better. But loneliness is not a response to an outer condition. Loneliness is a response to an inner condition. Yes, There is someone missing, but the one that's missing is you. You are neglecting yourself. And the funny thing is everything that you're looking for in a relationship, be it respect, be it cuddling, be it whatever, that's the stuff that you're neglecting yourself and not giving yourself. And then when you meet that person and you go, oh my God, there's this familiarity. You will be the one that makes me not feel lonely. The thing they're having in common is they're both lonely. Mm -hmm. And they're hooking up on that. And it feels so familiar. It feels like, oh, you're the one. But about (laughs) three months into it, that feeling starts bubbling up again. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not feeling so good. I'm feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. But now it's your fault that I'm lonely. You are the one (laughs) that said you're not going to make me, I won't be lonely anymore. And now I'm going to find everything wrong with you and beat you with my shoe. When what's really happening is my own loneliness bubbled back up again. And that's where that, but once you, like you're saying, you get to know yourself, you honor yourself, you value yourself and you are there for yourself. And you, for that, you have to learn healthy selfishness. People don't know what selfishness is. They think selfishness, <laughs> selflessness is wonderful. And, and selfishness is a horrible, depraved thing. But that's, that's a, it won't add up. You can't keep pouring from an empty vessel. It doesn't work. You got to know yourself, take care of yourself and then go to the other person filled up. (laughs) Exactly. Because it is the other individual is like a mirror of your, uh, of your, yourself. It's the power of representation uh, that is within you that the other person uh, uh, is supposed to uh, draw out. 
but it's what's already there. And so having clarity through whatever work that you do, uh, through translation RHS, through counseling, however you do it, is a way of having the uh, uh, clarity of what is needed, what's going on, having the courage to make agreements rather than try and have expectations. Yeah. It is a mirror. And if you don't like what you see in the mirror, getting a new mirror isn't going to change it. <laughs> but it does help. Look in the mirror, see what it is you don't like. Yeah. And because it is the reflection. And then rather than bitching and moaning that you don't like what you see in the mirror, realize that it's your reflection. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's the, uh, the other thing, too. There seems to be um, a, uh, a fear of one being alone, which is very, very different than loneliness. To be alone means to be all one oh, and whole. And that's very, very different than if you're having a feeling of loneliness. And that is something also that you, that you need to root out and, and get to the, to the depth of. Uh, the other thing- Self-neglect, always. Yes, always. And which brings us back to that business of being selfish. Uh, I was reading a report from a, um, a dear colleague of mine, and she was saying that she had given herself the, uh, the permission to say no. Uh, uh, and that is something is really important, too, is that within your life is to know what you're doing, uh, know when you're taking on too much, and then to say no if you need to. Well, it's sort of a circular, it's a lie, first of all, when yeah. you don't know when you feel like it, but it's mm -hmm. sort of circular thinking. You're lonely and you think, oh God, I want you in my life. So mm -hmm. if I'm going to say no, then you'll leave and then I'll feel even lonelier. So it's mm -hmm. circular, erroneous thinking though. Yeah. It, because again, loneliness is self-neglect. So you have to take care of yourself and then if that means <laughs> saying no, well then yeah, that's you know, it's no question. Of course you say no when you don't have it in you at the moment. And it doesn't mean that they're going to go away and you'll feel even lonelier because you're not lonely anymore when you take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sense of that uh, new sense of uh, uh, selfishness, which is self-care looking at it from that. So I, yeah, I think uh, looking at words that we use because the words that we use have power. And, and it is really important that we look at the words that we have and that we also listen to ourselves. It's very interesting how, how many times you're in a conversation with someone and not only are they not listening to the other person, but what's worse, they're not listening to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually have a, 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 a strange practice that I had my clients do. It's called the practice of complaining. We have such a thing with complaining. We don't want to be a complainer. We don't want to be a whiner. And there's something wrong, something wrong when you're just going to just say it and to whine about it and not do anything. Yeah. But that awareness that you're saying, well, we all complain. The fact is we all do it. So I say <laughs> complain. 
but complain out on paper and pull out all the stops. I, everything that, <laughs> pull it out, write it on there. They're not doing it right. They're doing this wrong. They're doing that and this, whatever it is, write it down because it is an honest communication with yourself. Yes. And then realize that that mirror thing again, everything that they're not doing right and put your own name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, guess what? I'm neglecting everywhere you put your own in there. And it is so eye opening. It mm -hmm. is the best thing. Plus, complaining is fun, let's face it. But they're not doing it right. <laughs> and yes, but it is that situation of the. I am I, because it is that back and forth that goes on, is that individuals are ref always reflecting back to us who we, who we are, what's going on. And I love that. And uh, I just so love having you as a reflection in my life. It's just wonderful. of appreciation. Oh my goodness. Um, is there something else that you want to bring out at this time before we open it up to the audience? Uh, not really. I think we've talked about, you know, everything. I mean, the one thing I was going to say is that loneliness is the whole, uh, lack of self-care is the hallmark of loneliness. Yes. So the more you care for yourself and the more you, mm -hmm. but the thing is we have, the, we have all these circular thinking barriers that we build up for ourselves and we can't see they're blind spots for us. Mm -hmm. So sometimes complaining on paper is helpful with the with the blind Absolutely. spots just let it go you just boof, you just <laughs> and then you can see around those blind spots because it's those blind spots that keep you from fully expressing yourself and also from finding the love of your life mm -hmm. because loneliness for instance is the biggest barrier to ever finding the love of your life because mm -hmm. you'll only ever meet another lonely person and you can be lonely together for a little while until you start <laughs> to choose mm -hmm. <laughs> and and there's so many other blind spots and, and eddies, the circular thinking that we do. And once we can clear those out of the way and then make a specific list to what we want, that clarity that you were talking about to get from where I am to where I want to go. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Yeah. You have to know <laughs> what you want. And, um, and then it's just, yeah, it's like taking candy from a baby. Life is not so hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, it, it, it's then you're allowing for the, uh, un, um, the unpredictable good to take place. Oh, I uh, is, that, is that, yeah, yeah. And that's what you want is that you, you're saying because, it, it, because it's not really about having somebody who's so tall and, and uh, have eyes of whatever color. No, no, or whatever. no, it's about that too. Do not fool yourself. But, but what I'm saying, but what's more important is the, the business of allowing the, un, uh, um, the unpredictable guild to come through with that. The thing is, you know exactly what it is you want and what you find attractive. Mm -hmm. I find that that's, that's what always starts out that way. When I, when I coach someone into that, what do you want? And like, mm -hmm. oh, I, don't, I just want to find someone nice. And I call them. Oh, well, well, no, no, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I wasn't going to date anybody under 5'10". I'm very tall. I don't like being <laughs> I don't like being tall 5'10". And I, I like blondes. And I, this was how I was going to be. So, you know, my wife's a six foot one golden blonde athlete. <laughs> but I stuck with it. I had my list and I stuck with it. And, 
And it was way worth it because the advantage to that is you fall in love every time you look at your partner mm -hmm. and you don't have to work on your relationship mm -hmm. because I know I want her. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's always worth it for me to look at myself, to make it work, to make it last in the long run because I, I fall in love. So I think the outer stuff is very important. Don't, don't fool yourself. Just know exactly what it is you want. Don't think mm -hmm. that you, everybody knows what they want. <laughs> they're just they're too scared to say it out loud mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay and uh, that uh, well you my dear certainly uh take on the challenge because uh what you haven't said is that uh that uh, that the woman that you chose is not only just an athlete, but almost Amazonian in in her uh, her her her. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I remember sometimes her ears must have been burning. Yeah, she's also she's she's an ocean rower. She rowed from Mount Monterey to Hawaii in a little rowboat. So she's. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marnie. Uh, well, uh, I, I thank everyone uh, for being here today. It was a pleasure. Um, Marnie, it's always wonderful. Come visit. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, this was so much fun. <laughs>